everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. And we're doing something different this week in that we're doing a little bit of a, a meta podcast. We're talking about another podcast. Um, so I'm here with my lovely co-host Michelle. Hi Michelle. Hi Stephanie. And we're also here with our excellent and very, very talented producer Jimmy. Hi Jimmy. Hi Steph. And we're talking today about the new podcast from um, the folks that bought you This American Life and the folks that bought you Serial, S-Town, which is really called shit town um, and the reason that we wanted to talk about it today is because it, it's such a um, innovative use of the podcast format and because there's all it has burned all this discussion about whether podcasts can be novelistic and we'll talk about that issue um, today I'm sure I should mention up front too that this discussion will spoil you for S-Town so if you want to listen to S-Town um, please do so now before you listen to the rest of this episode because you will be thoroughly spoiled and I wouldn't want to take away the experience for you so Michelle and Jimmy S-Town a podcast the new novels well let me just start with a, an interesting story that uh, leads into the whole spoiler thing too. Steph here, as lovely as she is, you know, unwittingly gave me a spoiler, <laughs> which <laughs> I will for, forever resent her for, <laughs> through no fault of her own. It's, um, I've got a very, uh, I guess, you know, reading too many crime fiction novel has made me be a little bit of a detective when I listen to or read things. And so while I'm listening to S-Town, uh, I was thinking, Steph mentioned that there's something shocking that happens at the end of episode two and because that thought was in my head she didn't say what it was all she said was that she gasped out loud on the treadmill on the at treadmill the at the gym <laughs> yep. made a complete fool of herself mm-hmm. uh, and i thought what could be so shocking and at the end of episode one i figured it out i thought he's going to kill himself i thought that has to be the shocking thing because uh he seems to be going through depression he was sort of swinging from mood to mood and i thought that has to be it and when it happened uh, i was Surprised, but disappointed because I really wanted to be surprised. Uh, and I wasn't because I'd sort of guessed it. Uh, and that got me thinking about, well, what I'm listening to is very, very similar to reading a book of yeah. some sort. Because, you know, you, you don't like spoilers when you're reading books either. You kind of <laughs> just want to be shocked by the entire experience and, and feel it uh, throughout. And so I was a little bit disappointed that, you know, that part of my brain, I couldn't shut off and just sort of enjoy the experience of it. And so I made a very concentrated effort when I recommended it to Michelle here of saying, I'm not going to say anything because it's better for you just simply be shocked. And all I told her was, um, just make sure you listen all the way through to at least the end of episode two. Mea culpa, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> I genuinely did not expect that. Um, I, I sensed that the, the podcast was moving away from the kind of murder mystery that it starts off with in episode one. I was seriously not expecting the, the suicide of John B. McLemore. Um, and I... I'm clearly an unattentive reader. <laughs> Look, I mean, I think your question about is the podcast the the novel um, of the of the of the future, the new novelistic form, is is an excellent one because it it really brings to mind both the fact that it's it's it, on one hand it's like a return to oral literature, isn't mm. it? Like it's it's that oral tradition of of having you know sort of a voice telling you things and yet at the self same time I mean it's self-consciously literary mm. I mean from I mean I, I think in part because the um, the profound um, learnedness of um, John B. McLemore I mean a character with such um, reading tastes with such vocabulary with with such um, you know sort of idiosyncrasies I mean you couldn't have in, 
invented. I mean, it makes you rethink Faulkner and how much, <laughs> you know, sort of how much imagination and, and how much, you know, just the marvellous South um, wrote uh, his stories for him. Um, and yeah, look, I, I, I think that it's the self-consciousness of the, you know, sort of some of the structuring devices, the layering, mm. you know, the use of the conscious use of, of motif, the, the revealing and the concealing, you know, of, 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 of points. I mean, I think that if that episode 12, oh no, no, seven, what was the last one? Seven. Seven yeah. had, had been, and of course, any, any of that information that we were given in episode seven, could quite easily have been put into episode two, episode one, episode three. So, you know, there is a, there's a conscious sort of plotting mm. and withholding of information and also the revealing of information that makes the model, of, uh, the model of a novel a really useful way of thinking through that podcast and, and it gives us a language to discuss it, I think, is the best thing about it. Mm. And I think they're also very self-consciously um, referring to themselves as literature because they don't refer to the episodes as episodes. They mm. actually call it as chapters. chapters yeah. It's chapter one through to chapter seven. Mm. So it's almost inviting you to, um, I was going to say read, but not necessarily read, but observe it as a form of literary work in itself. Look, that absolutely did, because, I mean, I think from the, the, the opening with the very intricate description of clock workings, yeah. um, you know, was immediately sort of um, a cue to anyone who, who does reading to, to sort of be on the lookout um, for, for metaphors of time, for the significance of, you know, sort of the, 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 the machinery of clocks. And, I mean, I, I just, I, I think that... Um, Ah, oh, yeah. Look, I mean, I, I think that this the, 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 one of the things that this podcast does is is it sort of blows out of the water that that lovely um, sort of ability to one hand to talk about form with sort of pleasurable detachment, mm. and then on the other hand that the the brutal um, sort of and and the devastating um, life um, that brought into being that podcast, and and I think that's that's where it becomes such a, a, a sort of a powerful thing to listen to but also a really compelling thing to talk about I think that like the best novels it, it has the power to evoke a number of kind of contradictory emotions so I was very you know engaged on a kind of entertainment level with the podcast and it's you know it's wonderful listening it's it's you know compelling it drives you forward but at the same time there is this deep sadness and this deep despair that underlies almost really all the episodes from the beginning even when before we, it's revealed that he has committed suicide um, so it, it has that ability to kind of exist within that complexity I suppose to not be one thing or another it's not just a sad story it's also a beautiful story it's also a um, it's a bittersweet story it's a story about place it's a story um, about murder it's a story about um, science it's a story about um, the experience of a gay man living in a, in a world that's quite hostile to to gay people um and at the same time it's also really really entertaining and because of the way he he, he it, it, it's structured where you know sort of those final two um chapters i think really in many respects um i i i feel sort of challenge or turn on its head the idea of it as detective fiction and i actually by the end of it felt it was more of a a love story and a, mm. and, 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 a, and a tragedy, you know, mm. which I think was only possible or only available 
to me as, as a listener because of that sort of crafted, mm. um, you know, sort of um, s- structure uh, and, and, and thoughtfulness that went into the piecing together mm. of yeah. um, John Black. The Macklemore's life, mm-hmm. and I think the other thing that also makes it really literary, you know, to talk about from that aspect, is uh, the use of language. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about the writer himself. You know, um, uh, you mentioned Michelle, um, the the opening with that descriptive passages, but just even the uh, I was say characters, but well, they are in a way a form of characters themselves. Um, all the uh, different people being interviewed, their, their use of language is spectacular. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, John B. Macklemore, obviously, but. There were some other um, interviews that I just thought, wow, you know, that could have come out from any wonderful you know, 19th or 20th century literary work, Faulkner, you mentioned at, at one stage. Yeah, look, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it, because there have, of course, been complaints about, you know, sort of the way it represents, you know, S-Town and, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the South and, and, you know, all of those things. But I feel that the, the thing that I came away from with... From listening to that story was in actual fact um, the profound eloquence of the people. Yeah, um, I, I felt that too. The way that they spoke really surprised me because I think we have in our head a kind of one-dimensional caricature of the redneck and perhaps if we saw um, the way that they, they kind of fit into that kind of caricature of what a, a, the redneck looks like, it might kind of cut against um, our perception of them. But just having the audio and hearing their words, I thought really kind of broke down that, that cliche of what the redneck is like because they were so eloquent and I don't know if it's something about the accent or, or the way they use language. Yeah. Because there was a, there was a sort of a, a, an almost, I think, you know, sort of biblical um, and, and, you know, sort of a, a really sort of sort of King's, King James sort of edition of, mm. of, of the Bible as well in, 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 in their um, in their diction, in their in their um, you know terms of phrases. It was it was just it was it just lifted um, the level of, of, of the of, of the podcast. And in a sense that was something that only the language of those people could do. And and I think the other thing that it did that's so very important for our, the times that we're in is that um, you know, sort of on one hand, we had John B. Macklemore, who absolutely and utterly um, declared that population, you know, sort of racist, bigoted, ignorant, distasteful, corrupt, um, you know, in, in really, really um, unequivocally using the language that, um, you know, that, that, that is usually um, divisive and in actual fact, it is, but then what we saw was we saw, you know, sort of human beings who both held views that, you know, I could never reconcile myself with and yet were capable mm. of incredible acts of empathy and understanding and um and, 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 and just integrity. And profundity. I found yeah. I found it surprising how profound some of their kind of speculations, um, you know, they all have a lot of um, interviews with neighbours and friends of, of, of um, John. And I found them, the way that they commented upon his life and the certain challenges that they found in, in his, um, that he had in his life, really profound. And I thought that's amazing that, you know, we, we kind of write off people um, based on kind of perceptions about what they'll be like. And certainly John did too, to some extent, as you say, he, he's written off this town as, you know, full of, um, loser deadbeats, basically. But the, the the understanding and the insight that they seem to have into him and his life and the kind of struggles that he faced, as well as the kind of deeper psychological motivations of his behaviour, struck me as incredibly wise in ways that I wasn't expecting. 
I, you know, they gave they gave him room. Mm. You know, they, they, there was no. Um, they accepted him as he was, mm. and I wish um, he could see that. Um, look, it was one of those uh, sort of moments where I think, um, you know, on one hand we're given this sort of glimpse of, of the southern Gothic, mm. you know, where that's deliberately um, invoked. Um, and I think that the sort of the genius of it was that actually Reed understood that what we were going to see by the end of it was something that was actually transformative and surprising and actually in the end challenged me because it was almost as though those people with, um, you know, sort of their distinctly, you know, sort of, um, and in fact, I mean, it was overt, the fact that um, the KKK had no qualms or problems with being called the KKK, mm-hmm. you know, sort of um, wood factory. There was, there were no, um, there was no effort to, uh, to, to to disguise, uh, you know, sort of those things that you sort of think of as insurmountable, mm. don't you? I mean, they tend to be the things that you think divide you, sunder you, absolutely, from people. And yet, by the end of it, it felt as though all everything was much more negotiable. Mm. Um, because we'd had this glimpse of the complexity of what it means to hold beliefs but still be, you know, sort of human and and mm. profoundly um, kind. Yeah, and I think also their understanding of um, how uh, the implications or complexities of language works really sort of fleshes out a lot of these um, people. So one of the, the, um, the interviews that really surprised me was the, uh, the grandmother, Tyler. Um, her interview really really just um, completely shocked me because I wasn't expecting anything that sort of came out of that woman's mouth and it was just such an amazing um, the things that she was saying were just really really surprising for me especially you know um, when she talked about listening to opera when she was in a, a bad mood so you know whenever, whenever opera's playing she's in a bad mood and, and you listen to the pieces that she's playing there's almost like an, another level of meaning that she's um, mm-hmm. putting forth there's, there's a self-actualization that I just don't expect, I guess, and, and it's my own biases. I, I really acknowledge that from from those sort of uh, from people who speak in that particular way, uh, and that for me was really really surprising. Look, and, and I think the other thing that struck struck me, and I think probably all of us, because you know we've sort of been privileged with, or, you know, sort of the, the 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 sort of almost the highest level of education that you can mm. access, you know, in 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 terms of you know sort of postgraduate study or you know all of those things and so many of the ideas that I think were being articulated um, by you know um, the, the grandmother by the people in the church as in the, the tattoo parlor um, in, in terms of um, John B Macklemore um, I, I was sort of made to feel how um, sort of knowledge and education can also deprive people of the richness of experiencing their life and coming towards their own mm. forms of wisdom. Um, because I think one of the things that was very clear was that a lot of the, um, you know, sort of, you know, there were obviously the solicitor and there was the, um, you know, there, there were the, the, the town clerk and, and professor and things yeah. like that. But by and large, the, the town people, the, the, the real sort of main, um, you know, sort of driving forces of that were people who'd left school, who'd, you know, sort of not studied and, and yet through, you know, sort of time and through observation and, and through feeling and, and through, I guess, 
living um, in a particular sort of wholeness um, made me question. Made, made me just made me made me question. I guess the path to wisdom. Well, I think that that becomes clear in the conversation that um, that he's had with the Brian Reed has with um, his old university professor because John B. McLemore clearly to me is a genius. The, the level of achievement that he had in his profession, um, his ability to kind of come to all of this understanding, almost entirely self-directed, um, indicates to me that it's a rare intellect that he had. That he had. Um, but yet he didn't find a place in, in any kind of educational model. You know, he didn't find um, what he needed at school. He didn't find what he needed at, in university. He ended up dropping out. But yet he's got one of the, the finest minds that I think I've, I've had the pleasure of accessing, and and that is um, reinforced by the um, the other people in the clockmaking industry that that have indicated that his level of achievement was beyond anything that um, um, that, that that they could kind of put their finger on. Um, and so I think that made me also have those kinds of similar thoughts, Michelle, about how um, the institutions of higher education can often um, not be welcoming to those kinds of more off the wall, more um, eccentric geniuses, or or just people who you know march to the beat of their own drum. I think that it, it made me think about how kind of um, institutionalized <laughs> higher education can be. Well, I mean, I, I you know there's that sort of discussion of Ronciere where you know sort of education is a form of equivalence, and your mm. ability to achieve is because you're actually equivalent to what any one state wants or one mm. institution wants. And I mean, you, you think about the achievement of, of John B. Macklemore in that town and his instrumental role in 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 building the town because I mean mm. that was one of the other revelations that came through and it was just so difficult to process was the fact that the John B. Macklemore that we encountered that we felt so fond of and so and, and felt so who felt so real to us was perhaps not even the John B. Macklemore um, that was for most of his life. Mm. Um, so that that sort of that sort of decline, possibly due to the brain damage of of, of, of mercury. Mm. Um, but but you know, sort of his ability to to, to build mazes, his ability to organise. Actually, before I because if I don't, I think I'll just I'll, I'll have to re-podcast or something. But you know, the the final um, lines that he writes to um, to Brian Reed. Um, and I'd wanted to uh, actually write a transcript so that we could read them because, mm. in actual fact, the the eloquence and the um, the, the, the depth and just the, the the beauty of what he wrote mm. was I I I I'll admit I was having a weep in the car <laughs> as I drove along and um, it reminded me the. Um, the power of language, you know, the power of words, and when someone um, melds, as you say, you know, sort of a, a great mind mm. with, um, you know, and, and, and a really um, you, a wonderful choice of books. I mean, you know, like mm. this, going through and charting the books that were important to him um, were, you know, was another one of those moments where, as a teacher, <laughs> I just wanted to to weep again. Um, with joy, probably. And I think it was a really positive note to end from somebody who has been so negative about almost every aspect of his life, unreasonably negative, mind you. Um, mm. you know, as you mentioned, he helped build the town, and there was this constant theme in his life that everything he touches eventually just you know, turns to shit, and, and 
the title, I think, um, there was that relationship that he had fostered with um, the guy, I can't remember his name now, who then moved to, to New York. Um, and he thought that that was a failed relationship. But again, as it turned out, that guy actually turned his life around in a very positive way and looked at um, John Dee as somebody, as a benefactor. Mm. Uh, and the town, for all intents and purposes, did thrive. Mm. Uh, and so I think, you know, that sense of being moved by that letter that you felt, Michelle, was it was something, again, you know, I, I can um, mirror because I thought it was such a really nice note to know that even mm. at the end of his life, his last thoughts weren't a negative thought as we've been revealed, mm. as we've been told throughout, but rather a, a, a quite positive message to, to leave the world in, that, um, that he felt that um, life, you know, he, he had accomplished some things. Yeah, and I like a good book. You know, sometimes you have these memories of of reading a really book that really works for you, that you really um, fall in love with, and you remember where you were and how, you know, how old you were when you finished it. I have this vivid memory of I I listened to most of this on on long walks, and I just have this very specific memory of where I was on my walk when I listened to those final, like, last five minutes of of, um, Chapter 7, so I think that it, it, it shows you how kind of um, effective and powerful this piece of audio is, that I can pinpoint where on the street I was when I listened to these final Me episodes. Too. Yeah. I was on the M4, uh, <laughs> just about to pass the sign from Penrith, and this letter came on, and I was like, yeah. oh, this is heartbreaking. I Why know. am I on the M4? Yeah, I know. It, it's just got that um, an enormous power to kind of move you, and that I... I wasn't necessarily anticipating. And, and I also think, transport you as well. Yeah. It transports you into this world. Um, and it may not be a, a pleasant world, but it's certainly a fascinating and beautiful world yeah. that, I, that I just absolutely love I could, I could, Im- I could imagine and envisage S-Town. Even though I've never been to the United States, I've never encountered an environment. No, States. I haven't. But I haven't encountered this kind of environment, but yet I could, I could locate myself in it. I think the other thing that you can't sort of ignore when thinking about why something makes you feel as though it, 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 it's, it's literary or whether it's novel or, 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 you know, any of the terms that you want to enlist in order to express, I guess, pleasure in some sense, you know, because mm. that, that, I think ultimately that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to lord it, um, is the fact that it, it, it actually sort of, um, it, it, it manages to sort of crystallise um, so, certain uh, sort of moments about the time that we're living in mm. that seem to be the most important things to be thinking about. And when you think about what the list of those things are, I mean, you know, of course there's the climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, of course there's racism. Um, and, you know, there's also the, um, you know, the, there's the idea of the, the, the sort of the limitations of our, of our notions of, you know, sort of heteronormativity. There, mm-hmm. There's... Um, classism as well. There, there's, yeah. there's classism. Um, but also on another level, we have that... Oh, and I think the other thing I was thinking about was that moment where he um, talks, and it's about home and not being at home, mm. you know, because he's, he's at home, he can't leave home. It is his home. It's not his home. Um, and he, one of the ways that he thinks through that is by imagining someone over in war-torn, um, I think it's Syria or um, um, Iraq, and imagining, well, I think I don't leave home for the same reason that, you know, sort of, um, I can't remember the name, but it was, it, it was, it was an Islamic name, it wouldn't leave his home, even though he might be waiting for a, a bomb or this or that, because in some um, ineffable way, we have a sense of connection 
to home mm. and that I think you know sort of that notion of home combined with his final speech where he really actually talks about the fact that I'm happy because I know that I have sat in my kitchen at night time and I have thought deeply about the way that I've lived and I think that notion of time mm. and you know sort of the time and the motifs on those um, astrolabes the, the motifs on the on the sign on the sundials um, you know in, in this sort of frenetic world where we live where we're sort of cramming our moments and we're cramming ourselves and and the way that we need to work and the way that our days are just so starved of time yeah. um, I think ultimately I, I, I felt that um, taking away from that it was it was a, it was a point to sort of consider um, that link between having time and being human yeah. because I think when we don't have time um, to just to, to think and to be then we don't have time to be human I think the the episode that really um, moved me the most and it's an episode I've seen a lot of criticism of but I don't necessarily agree with the criticism um, was chapter six um, and that that episode is or that chapter is very much interested in, in um, looking at the um, fact of, of John's homosexuality or bisexuality or however you want to to think about it um and this kind of missed connection that he had with that man and i it struck me as such a lonely kind of episode because it's all about him using the kind of slivers of time that he has at night and so forth to talk to this man on the internet and to, to build up this connection with this man um but it's a missed connection it's a it's a it's a could have been and it struck me so profoundly sad that that they could have had something potentially um, and it never eventuated but at the same time it was still real and still worthwhile in and of itself you know I think it's it's, it's I mean if the if this were a novel we'd talk about irony yeah. you know because obviously his conversations were on the telephone mm. and everyone that knew John had you know sort of said that it was their friendship was marked by hours and hours on the telephone mm. And, you know, when we think about how rich our experience of the podcast was mm -hmm. by being channeled just through Audio. You know, sort of the, yeah. the, the lusciousness of the human voice, mm. the, the disembodied voice, you know, you, you, you sort of came to understand that there's this, um, there's this strange richness and intimacy mm. that comes from, you know, sort of that, that, that voice. And yeah, that's right. So it was just one of those moments where, and this is where I think that, that you know, and in, in, in some sense you could almost invert the formula and say, you know, sort of as we discuss all of these aspects of, of, of you know, sort of S-Town, mm. um, you know, it, it's actually a really good way into novels and into literature because I think, you know, sort of perhaps that oral medium makes it much easier mm. um, for, for, for people to feel these things that I think we probably feel more automatically in and with words and through words on the page. Well, I've what? often thought that um, the power of podcasts is the intimacy. You're carrying around somebody's voice in your ear. I listen to, as as you guys know, I listen to an absurd amount of podcasts, and I've and I've often thought that 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 is the kind of secret to the, the popularity of podcasts is that you know you are carrying around somebody's thoughts and you feel like you've developed relationships with them, even though you're just a passive listener walking around the streets listening you feel like you've developed this kind of friendship with the the hosts or the characters or the you know whatever is kind of relevant for that podcast and again i think there's a nice mirror there with the the, the phone calls that he has 
Look, and, and I think it's an antidote to the sort of image-saturated world that we're living in. And, and I think one of the things that happens is that we forget that, you know, sort of, I guess, in many respects, the origins of much magic, mm. you know, sort of that sense of incantation, um, it, it all relies upon the human voice and, and, and mm. listening to that rich textured, you know, sort of soundscape. And um, listening to people, you know, we, we humans, tend to, yeah. we tend to, you know, do a lot of our communication by email and, and typing and all of that. And that's fine. That's great. But listening to people is something that I feel like we've, we've lost. And that's, I think, the kind of hole that podcasts can fill that, you know, listening to somebody's story played out over an hour. When was the last time you had an hour-long conversation with somebody? And learning to listen because, you yeah. know, I, I mean, I've, I've experienced this just in, in, in our podcast, you know, sort of that reminder, you know, that remembering not to cut somebody off, not to, inter, you know, interject, not mm-hmm. to, you know, sort of want to take over too much space. And, and, and I think The importance of listening. Yeah. The importance of listening, you know, yeah. sort of on all its levels. And, and that was uh, complete because you really are um, captivated, mm-hmm. aren't you? You're under the spell of that human voice. Oh, and um, I was absolutely willing um willingly uh captivated through you know sort of that podcast so i am eternally grateful to you both <laughs> because i had i've never listened to a podcast before then and i can't imagine any podcast that would have so immediately mm. um converted me because i i am a convert <laughs> she was a podcast host before she was a podcast <laughs> listener <laughs> yeah. and i think that also it also harks back to maybe something uh from our youth that we've forgotten uh, which is that one of our first experience with uh, stories or narrative is through storytelling, is through people reading out stories to us. You know, in kindergarten, your teacher would always read a story to you, so it was always the voice telling you mm-hmm. a particular story, and that's how we get into literature to begin with, because you know, we can hear and understand before we can actually read. Um, and it is going back to almost that um, childhood state, listening to a well-told story. And I think, you know, going back to your point, Steph, on chapter six, and it is also my favourite chapter as well, and it has caused a lot of contra- uh, controversy, which I would like to talk about in a little, in, in a little while. But um, the one thing that I also noticed, which um, sort of maybe completes our discussion about the, the literary aspect of it anyway, is there's a really strong intertextual element to that particular chapter. You know, so their favourite, or um, I can't his name now. Uh, Olin. Olin. Yeah. Olin. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, his favourite film was Brokeback Mountain, mm. and he sends you know, John Macklemore the, the short story version of it, uh, and then he also loves it too. Uh, and I couldn't help but notice the parallels between their relationships and the relationship um, of um, Jack and Ennis from Brokeback Mountain as well. You know, everything was it almost mirrored their story yeah. uh, to some degree, and they both proclaim it as you know their favourite story. They they cry over the story, and the tragedies they end in the exact same way mm. for this story with one dead and one alive, with one dead, yeah. one alive, and one not finding out until later because he gets, you know, he tries to contact the other and finds out that the other is deceased. You know, that's exactly what happens mm. uh, in Brokeback Mountain. Too. Wow, I hadn't actually thought of yeah, that. Yes, so, you know, yeah. he sends the the postcard, and the postcard comes back stamped deceased, and that's exactly what um, uh, Olin, 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 yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, that's what he did. You know, he, he leaves a uh, message and then gets no response. So he finds in the obituary and learns that uh, uh, John B. McMahon was dead. Uh, and the fact that nobody knew about this guy as well was was another thing that um, paralleled Brokeback Mountain because yeah. it was a, a secret relationship and John B. never spoke about it. You know, it's meant to be, what was it, 10, 12-year relationship yeah. um, and there was never any indication until Chapter 6 that, hang on, there yeah. was this person this that actually existed. Uh, this person he was really close to, so I couldn't help but notice this 
interesting parallel between you know, literature or art and life. Um, and for me, that was infinitely sad and yeah. moving. That's a fantastic time. connection because I, I had obviously noted that kind of um, Brokeback Mountain, um, the, the place that Brokeback Mountain had in their lives, but I hadn't kind of thought about that. The, the kind of way that the, the weird ways that their, their stories parallel and I found it really profoundly sad that he had all of these secret relationships that he couldn't tell anybody about and that mm-hmm. half the people on that list of people that he asked to be notified of his death were people that were unknown to his family even I found that really really shocking I thought um, we'd touch too on the controversy um, so a lot of the controversy around um, that episode in particular and especially in uh, chapter 7 where there's discussion of um, church, which is the, the rituals of the tattooing um, and the um, sadomasochistic rituals that they go through, um, were overstepping the mark. So there was a lot of, um, you know, discussion about whether that was actually Brian Reed's. It was Brian Reed's place to reveal those kinds of personal details about his life, given that um, when he called Brian Reed into the town, it was about something very quite different. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I kind of feel that. My own personal kind of feeling about that was I wasn't necessarily bothered by that. I did think that um, he was using the kind of murder that opens um, Chapter 1 as a kind of excuse to have all these Mm. kind of much more interesting kind of emotional um, conversations, but I'm not sure how you guys feel. I mean, I've been bothered by that particular, you know, ethical uh, situation with other texts, uh, most prominently with um, uh, The Making of a Murderer, which... I stopped watching after three episodes because I just couldn't, I couldn't handle the way that they um, were depicting um, the woman who got killed, or rather not depicting her and using her death almost as a, a medium to entertain us. Um, so I felt uh, I had strong conflicting issues with, with that particular series. But with this one, it never once occurred to my mind at all that there was anything um, problematic, mainly because I think it was... Uh, I felt that it was actually just such a celebration of the life of John B. McElmore with all its complexities, you know, mm. in a way that, you know, if, God forbid, I should pass away, I would like my life to be depicted in this way. I don't want it to be shown as this, you know, one-sided picture of only the positive mm. aspect, but rather all the complexities that, that happened. And if the complexities involve um, other aspects that I already expressed that I'm okay with talking about, I think uh, Brian Reed was very, very respectful of that, and he made sure that he had permission from every single uh, aspect before. Look, I'm, I'm also really, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm feeling quite cautious and, and quite negative about sort of people. I'm actually, no, I'm interested in people's objections to it because, on, first of all, we we know that John B. McLemore, an atheist, mm. life is over. He contacted Brian Reed. He flashed his tattoos to him. Mm. You know, I, I think that you know, sort of on 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 that level, you know, I, I couldn't think of of a problem, an ethical problem. Okay, mm. but then I think on another level, I think there's this, you know, for somebody speaking on behalf of Brian B. McLemore to say that it was too much revealing this, or it's an ethical, um, you know, sort of it, it, it's it's the wrong thing ethically to do tells me that they're thinking that the most important thing in the whole world is you know an individual's right to to, to, to privacy you know mm. that right to um, to being invisible or protected or all of those sorts of things and what I think that art does is that it crosses boundaries that makes us 
that makes us really uncomfortable. Mm. It transgresses. It calls into question our priorities. And, you know, sort of that emphasis on the individual over the community is one of the forces that are fracturing our world because we can't actually put anyone, including ourselves, um, you know, sort of, you know, sort of, we, we can't allow, um, you know, sort of the individual um, to constantly um, determine all of our decision-making processes in a way that sort of prevents things like this from happening because I think when you look at the things that, um, and it's not sort of, I don't want to head into a sort of utilitarian sort of thing because it's useful to the world, he must be revealed, you know, his past, must, his, his life must be revealed. But I, I still think that there's a sort of a knee-jerk reaction that shows the degree to which we sort of are um, sort of we're, we're sort of driven by an individualistic and, and sort of um, almost um, yeah sort of an individualistic drive over you know sort of other aspects of you know sort of art which are uncomfortable and are problematic and do raise questions and do challenge us and are inappropriate and are all of those things. But I, I don't think that that's a reason to be silent. I, I completely agree. And I thought that those aspects of the series um, actually enhanced my understanding of this man. Because, I, I mean, when you when you strip away that sort of more private material, what you're left with is um, John B's proclamations about his life, which are often incredibly biased, um, leave out a lot of details, are... You know, well, everyone's biased, everyone's subjective. But without that kind of added richness of those stories about his personal life, I think he would be left just with this one-sided view that he had created of the town. And not only that, you would also be left with what I found a far less compelling narrative of where the gold was yeah. in the backyard. And I mean, that that was kind of interesting. On a, you know, this is this is you know, yeah, this is insane. Like this man may have you know millions of dollars of gold buried under his house. That's a kind of colour detail. But that to me wasn't. The, no. the, the, the crux of this story. Look, and I, and I think that was the other thing that, that troubles me about criticism of, um, you know, sort of talking openly about, you know, sort of John B. McLemore's um, lovers, about, you know, sort of the tattooing and the, um, you know, sort of the, the piercing, um, is this idea that we are discreet, you know, that we have these sort of really sort of clear-cut boundaries and I'm here, you're there, and this... Because I think the truth is much more complex and when you, you look at what John B. Macklemore, um, you know, sort of what our life is. It's the networks of connections that we have with people, with places, with um, with knowledge, with um, you know our actions, and to sort of you know to, to sort of reduce a human being to that um, you know sort of that bodily outline and say, well, that border can't be crossed. Mm. Um, and, and also, I think that it's smacks of the institution too, and that really bugs me because I think what we see is we see someone who is negotiating mental illness in a way that, you know, wouldn't tick any boxes for any, you know, sort of mm. um, society. And yet I think we have to look at and think, well, wasn't he better off, um, you know, sort of living where he was, going to his church, um, than, you know, sort of locked up, institutionalised and, you know, all of those sorts yeah. and medicated. I mean, he... he it, it, it was um, it was challenging. I think it was challenging to the prevailing ideas that we have around um, you know sort of mental illness, mm. um, and I think it also demonstrated you know sort of the um, you know sort of it, 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 it demonstrated that um, in 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 sort of a way that made it so visceral 
the the, the, the experience of, of mental illness where you know sort of tattooing upon tattooing or tattooing upon wounds and and piercing and re-piercing um, was the, 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 the sort of the the holiday mm. um, he needed to feel that in order to feel the yeah. respite from from yeah. from what his ex- mental anguish is and, and I think that we we issue the idea of you know sort of um, the, 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 you know, sort of, I, I, I think we're not comfortable with the degree to which, um, you know, sort of um, uh, violence um, is, 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 is part of um, a range of experiences. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think we're not comfortable with it. And of course, it's, it's not anything that, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd want for anyone to experience. But at the same time, to pretend that it's not there mm-hmm. um, is, is, feels something. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an issue with the actual violence of it. Uh, I, I do understand the whole ethical argument. But a point that I do have, which it's pure speculation, uh, there's no proof anywhere that this is the case, but it's something that I was thinking about during the entire series, is that I think John B. McMore actually invited the story to come in. Uh, he he used the crime which he knew was not true. Mm. Now, the, he's too intelligent of a man to believe these sort of things, I think he used it as an excuse to lure somebody else into his life, somebody who could, in a way, reveal the complexities mm. of his life um, in a way that he wanted it to reveal. As I said, it's, it's pure speculation on my part, but you know that's that's the mm. sense that I got. He was too smart a man to be used or manipulated in this way. If anything, he was the one who was instigating a lot of these. Well, I think himself. that was visible when when um, Brian Reed was questioning him and mm. saying that there actually doesn't seem to be much evidence that this happened, yeah. and he kind of changed the subject. Yeah, I think like, he was. No, think about oh this. yeah, yeah. Think about this. It was. It was seemed to me, yeah, that he was playing that game of you know I'm going to use this as a kind of hook because mm. I know what kind of stories this American life puts out and the, and so mm. forth, and to draw this in. But actually, mm. the real story I want to tell is about me. Yeah, and he knows their reputation for delving into people's lives uh, and delving into the complexities of yeah, people's lives right. too. So yeah. uh, you don't contact uh, an organisation that does something like that when you want privacy for yourself. That's right. You, know, you don't he subject yourself. Them he invited yes. them. Yes, he, you don't subject yourself true. to that. Look, and I, and, I, and I think also it, it would be insulting to him not to acknowledge the fact that he was a literary man. I mean, the three books that he sent, um, you know, sort of Brian Reed to read that frame, you know, sort of his very first uh, experience down in S in S Town were, you know, Guy Maupassant, the, yeah. the necklace and, and um, the... Shelley the Jackson. Fa- yep, Shelley Jackson and the Faulkner. The Faulkner, yeah. And then the very Which ended end, up being the theme song at the end, mind you. Mm. And then the very last, you know, sort of the list of, of the books that he actually uses to, to say, well, when I'm weighing up whether my life has been, has been worthwhile, when it, whether, I, whether it's been mm. a good life, the list of books that he, he names that there is there is you know there is no way that um, the, the idea of the you know sort of the artful and um, you know sort of arrangement of, of life is anathema to to, no. to, to what um, John B Mclemore intended thought or desired I think he was well aware of what was was happening and what where the story was going and I, I you know, obviously, I can't know what was in his head, but I, I agree with Jimmy that it, it does seem to me that he was involved in that conscious construction of, of his life into a, into a work of art, really. Um, I also, before we go, I wanted to touch on the way that this series was presented to us because, unlike most podcasts, it wasn't released 
um, in, a, in a timed way, you know, one episode every week or every two weeks. It was dropped all in one go. Um, so it was available to be listened to in one binge session if you wanted, or you could listen to it over however long you, you cared to. Do you, how do you think that kind of shaped the listening experience for you? Well, you know, if we're going with the literary theme, for me it's, it's uh, giving you the option of doing whatever you want to in, in a way that a book gives you the same option, where you can read the entire book in one sitting if you choose to, which knowing my habit, I, I tend to, if I'm really into a book, <laughs> I'll just sit there from morning through to, you know, the wee hours of the morning. Uh, reading entire book, um, but at other times if you're busy, it does give you the option to go from chapter to chapter, yeah. which also has that niceness to it too, because it gives you something to think about or mm. to process between each chapter. And to be honest, I didn't have the time as I would have liked to to just binge on this entire series and you know, mm. do seven hours sitting. Uh, so I did listen to it as I was driving to and from work every single time. It, yeah, it, it did seem to me that the structure was much more like a novel than that kind of episodic TV kind mm. of approach of dropping an episode once a week or once every two weeks or something like, like Serial was dropped. Mm. Um, so therefore it was much more kind of, you know, what happened on the last episode was the kind of discussion of the week. This you could kind of consume at your leisure. There's also the other um, unspeakable option, which is to skip to the end or skip around and not Michelle, actually I'll read pretend it you didn't say it. I, I know. We that, don't but do it, that but with it books. Is actually, no, no, but it is actually the possibility of having it given to you all at once. And, that's right. That you is know, true. It, it is absolutely, yeah. um, you know, it, it, I guess that's, it is. It's that delight where you can either just uh, lose yourself in it or also skip ahead or not that I did that. I mean, or control just, the, the listening experience in some way. Yeah. 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 I don't I think, think it's fair to say yeah. that all three of us uh, did lose ourselves yeah, in this absolutely. podcast. I listened to it over the course of, I think, a little bit less than a week, maybe about five days, something like that. And I did feel pretty immersed in the story. I was thinking about it when I was, you know, walking around and, and you know, looking forward to getting back to it. So I think it had those, uh, that immersive kind of novel, experience, novel reading experience for me. And I think also like a, a good novel, it does, um, I don't know about you guys, but, but certainly I, um, I had a very cathartic experience by the end of it. It was yeah. pleasant by the end, <laughs> in a horrifyingly painful and heartbreaking way. But at the end, you, you sort of felt it was a satisfying ending. I think the word that sort of stuck out for me at the end was bittersweet, that I felt mm-hmm. that I'd had this amazingly sad um, experience of going along learning about this guy's life but I also felt like it was one of the most beautiful kind of sto- stories that I'd really encountered and I think it'll stay with all of us for a long time. So I think that's three very enthusiastic thumbs up <laughs> for um, S-Town so I hope that um, you also enjoyed listening to S-Town and our discussion of S-Town. Um, all this podcasting about podcasts is making my head spin. Um, we'll be with you again in another two weeks. Thanks Michelle. Thank you Stephanie. Thank you. And thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, both of you. Um, See you again soon. Bye.